This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Preparing for recurrent training, Cape Air and Commute Air interview prep, and flying during the holidays. Welcome to episode 99 of the podcast where we give you an inside look at the many aerospace careers and help you achieve your goals. Joining me today is Paul Greco, scholarship analyst and interview prep consultant, also Tom Wachowski. He's a corporate pilot, also host of the Private Jet Podcast. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carl. And Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been great. You've been uh, out flying quite a bit. You just were relating to me that you've flown about nine and a half hours. That's pretty <laughs> amazing. In one day, that is. <laughs> yes, now, yes. Usually, for us corporate guys, that's a stretch. <laughs> that is a stretch because nine and a half hours, that's what, in a month's time normally for a corporate guy? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> the abuse is already beginning. I can see. Be fair, it's nine hours a week. <laughs> oh, that's true. Nine hours a week. Wow. But I, I tell you, that's uh, that's a lot of flying because you guys, uh, you know, you, you, oh man, I wish I had that video. We'll have to get a link to it where you guys sit around a lot, you know, and there was somebody who did a really cool video on YouTube about that. And uh, it was actually on CNN. That's where I saw it first. You know, like I sit around and it was, you know, by them. Yeah, that was really course. funny. That was, a, that was a blast. But that is yes. a big, big part of the corporate flying. And that is a, as we we'll touch a little bit on that as far as the holidays, that is a big difference between corporate and, and airlines. We do not sit around. We complain if we sit around for two hours, right. three hours, you know, and that's, that's nothing for somebody who's flying corporate. Yeah, yeah. Very. You're, 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 uh, if you sit around for two hours, uh, life is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, gosh, it's great to have both of you here. And, uh, you know, guys, I, I recently had the pleasure of coaching some really, really interesting people. Uh, and they're real motivated aerospace professionals and students. And uh, one thing that we've been hearing back from the listeners, from you listening, is that we've been providing, you know, some much-needed information, some nuanced information about the lives of pilots, flight attendants, engineers, and professionals. And, you know, this is good because it helps you decide if you uh, aerospace careers for you. It also helps motivate you during the you know the holidays now. So we want to talk a little bit about working during the the holidays. You know, today we're recording this on the eve of Thanksgiving in the United States, and so for all those listening to, uh, that celebrate this holiday, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, this is this is a holiday we give thanks, and I I want to start off with you know giving thanks to to you, the listener, for for listening to us, and also to the amazing team that we have here at Aviation Careers Podcast, including Tom Wachowski, Paul Greco, and, and Russ, and you know my wife, and, and just about everybody, Eric Crump, and there's too many to me- mention, and also the, all, all the wonderful people that keep coming back on the show to relate their stories to us. So I am very thankful for that, and thankful to be able to be flying. You know, I, I get to see some amazing sights. It was just the other day, gosh, I was flying, uh, I was flying to Orlando, and I'm looking out the window, the sun's setting, what a gorgeous orange sky that I got to see late at night. And that was my last trip. So it's kind of in my head right now. And that's uh, one of the many things that I'm thankful for. So we're thankful for you, you the listener, that you're coming here to, to join us and to share your time with us. Well, today we want to get on to some really interesting topics. Uh, we want to talk about a few things because, uh, you know, Paul and I both recently went through recurrent training. Uh, recurrent training at the airlines. 
uh, and also in corporate is where you know we're required by law to go and it may be law or by insurance but but at the airlines definitely by law that we have to go for a certain type of training uh, every year or every six months uh, depending on what kind of program that you have at your airline for instance the airline I work for I went to training for three days it includes ground school it includes training in like a flight training device and of course includes training in a simulator and during that you have all these checking uh, go, all this checking going on and tests and oral exams and that type of thing so we want to talk a little bit about about that about how to prepare for that but recurrent training is included in everything we do not just pilots it's also mechanics they go through recurrent training as private pilots we do quote-unquote recurrent training every couple of years we have to do a flight review so even if you're flying on the private pilot level you have to do some kind of recurrent training it's totally different than somebody who drives a car where you're really not going to be going to any type of recurrent training now on the on the corporate side Tom is is there something mandated in say your operation where you have to go through uh, recurrent training you know it varies by operation uh, I've been with operators where nothing was really mandated uh, we would go once a year or twice a year. Uh, I've been in the 135 world where it's very similar to the 121 world where it's mandated by law. We'd go every six months. And, uh, and then I've been in the, you know, back in the 91 world where we would follow it per what we've outlined in our operations manual. So kind of different angles on, you know, what makes the most sense uh, based on all kinds of various factors of when you go to recurrent. So in, in the world, in the airline world, usually recurrent includes a classroom somewhere and then a simulator somewhere. A lot of times that's in the same building because uh, larger airlines, of course, own their own simulators. But sometimes those simulators get busy. I've been shipped all over the country to go to these simulators like at a, you know, a flight safety or something like that that have the same type of airplane that I need to get current in. And then they'll we'll either use their instructors or the airline instructors. Now, on the corporate level, I think primarily you will go to a facility such as a, a flight safety or, or a SimCom, that type of thing. Those are people that, are, that provide training. So maybe you could give us first uh, what happens in recurrent and where do you go and how do you prepare for that? Yeah, you're exactly right. There's essentially four big providers. So flight safety, you mentioned SimCom, uh, and Bombardier has a very large uh, presence in the training arena. And then a company called CAE. So you typically go to one of those. And often it's dictated by price. Sometimes it's dictated by the philosophy or the relationship that maybe an operator has with that training agency. Uh, but so, so we'll end up going to one of those. And when we get there, you know, having gone through the 121 training, the format in even in the 91 world is very similar there is a very structured class outline because we have to think about it for a minute. The training centers, their training programs, whether you're 91 or 135, are all outlined by the FAA. So even though we're 91 and we're, you know, don't really, quote, have to follow all these rules, so to speak, uh, uh, we still are following a very structured FAA-approved training curriculum when we go to any of those providers. So that was uh, very similar to the airlines, ground school for one, two, or three days, sim for one, two, or three days. And those providers, it seems, about every year and a half, change it around. You know, you, They'll combine sim and ground, do you know, ground in the morning, sim in the afternoon, vice versa, two days of sim, two days of ground. It's all over the board. And, uh, but but the, at the end of the day, you walk away with a very similar experience uh, that you would at the airlines. 
So when we talk recurrent training and preparing for it, we could probably all speak together on how to prepare because it's, it's, it's very similar. Uh, I know in the, in, in the environment, in the corporate world, Tom, I, I actually had the pleasure of going to CAE on the airline side and flight safety on the airline side. I, I thought it was pretty cool because they treated me like a customer, which I thought was awesome. Uh, yes. And, and that's, that's kind of a difference there, I think, with the corporate and also with, with the, the folks on the airline side. Because you're, you're seeing airline instructors, the same instructors over and over, where they, they do – there is a difference uh, the way you're yes. treated when you come in the door. Uh, yeah, no doubt. It's, and, and, and they realize that they, they want to keep your business, so it's really important uh, the way they treat you, et cetera. Not that it isn't important in the airlines the way they treat, they treat you, but they know that they, you know, you're coming back. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You're no, that, you, you, bring up a, you bring up a great point. I was with an operator some time ago, and we had uh, some, some non-U.S. citizens who had to go through training. And the same training center – uh, you know, they've got to do some TSA stuff and some paperwork before they go to training. And they had done everything on their end in the training center. Uh, two of our guys in a row uh, did not do that paperwork. So our guys showed up and they couldn't get in the sim <laughs> because the paperwork wasn't done. So, you know, those little things, that's a difference maybe in the airline, you know, they would have someone right there to take care of it. Well, in the corporate world, you know, that really ended up severing our relationship with that provider. We ended up not going back there due to that. So uh, the treatment very much does matter in the corporate world. Right, right. And, and also with that said, we do, uh, even in the airline world, use a lot of contractors. Uh, but, but now, you know, moving into preparing for, for the training. And, and Paul, I, I'd like to know, do you guys, where you are, the airline you fly for, do you use your own simulators or is it a contractor? No, we, we contract out with flight safety. And, uh, and I experienced the same thing that you did. When we went to flight safety, we were very much treated like customers. And uh, it, it was a really wonderful experience. We do uh, sort of dry lease the simulator, I guess, because it's our instructors. So it's company instructors in a uh, flight safety simulator. So we're not using flight safety instructors. So that might be a little bit different than what you were just talking about. But other than that, um, that's how that's how we operate. And uh, and you know, it's been a really good experience doing that so far. So let's let's discuss the process of getting ready for your recurrent. Personally, I've been through God knows how many recurrent. I've been through a lot of initials. I've done initial at least with six six times. I've done initial because uh, in the beginning I got furloughed so many times I had to do initial at all these airlines. And um, I know that you know Tom has done quite a few initials. Paul, you've done one initial with an airline, but I think you've also done uh, 135, I think it is, in initial yeah. training. Yeah, I did uh, I did a 135 initial a couple of years ago, and I'm actually I'm actually doing another 135 initial, initial right now because we created a new certificate. So oh, that's, okay. uh, yeah, so kind of a, uh, it, even though I'm, I'm with the same company, it's a new certificate with that company, so I have to go through another initial, so it's all of the uh all of that so, that whole process again so so let's back up one second though because i'm sure there's some people listening right now going crazy with these numbers 91 is uh basically just private flying uh you know you buy an airplane you hire a pilot you they can fly you part 135 is you're holding out as basically like an air taxi operator and the part 121 are the scheduled airlines there are part 135 scheduled airlines that and that's you know certain rules there that apply but uh 
you know, it's it's a little bit different, you know, and there's Air Charter, there's uh, 121 Air Charter, there's many different variations of this, I'm not going to go through all of them, but uh, but basically as you move forward, uh, like in the 121 world, uh, everything, every little thing has to be approved before it goes through the process, and it's very true with 135 too, that they are taxi, but usually in the 121 world, I think Tom touched on this, if you have a problem, say with a manual, you go to your manuals department and say, hey, could you fix this? You know, Tom might be the manuals guy. <laughs> you <know? Right>. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that's got to rewrite it. You know, you're <laughs> flying the line and rewriting the manuals. You know, we have a, a team of people that'll do that. Um, but let's let's talk now to, to actually getting ready. Let's get ready for our recurrent training. There's a couple of things that I think are incredibly important. Number one is trying to get a feel for how long it's going to take you you, the listener, to actually get ready for your recurrent. Is this your first recurrent? Is it your 10th recurrent? Have you been on the airplane for 20 years or just two months? There's a big difference between what you need to do depending on the experience with that recurrent training and also with that aircraft. With that said, there's a few things you have to do. Number one uh, is there's certain items you have to memorize, and there are usually limitations on the aircraft. And there's certain limitations within your operation, too. So you have to memorize those things because you're, you're definitely going to be tested on those, especially at the airlines, and I'm sure also on, on the corporate level. It's one of the things they like to get out of the way in the beginning, to be prepared. And even for initial training, know those memory items. Now, Tom, uh, as far as the memory items, you, is it, was it similar to the airlines, or is it similar to the airlines where you have to come in with those, memory, those limitations and memory items? Uh, you know, it's. I would say it's nearly identical. Um, although maybe the difference I felt over the years is, um, there, you definitely want to come in there knowing them. But I have seen scenarios where people didn't, and I think because we mentioned a minute ago that relationship part of the ninety-one world, where the training center really wants to maintain your business, maintain that relationship. And so they will provide opportunities for you to memorize those things that you haven't memorized. Whereas I think maybe in the airlines, they just kick you out of the room. Right, right. You're exactly correct because you have and, – and, but the one good thing about the airlines, they usually will tell you in advance what they expect. For sure. instance, just like you said, they say these are the things that you have to get 100%. By the way, that's another thing that's a little bit different than most other jobs is that you have to get 100% of these questions correct or you're not going to pass. So those are the memory items and limitations. Limitations are things like airspeed limitations, you know, how fast can you be going to turn the windshield wiper on, you know, those type of things. How high can the airplane fly? What's your maximum landing weight, your crosswind component, those kind of things. Memory items are, are things where you have, say, a checklist that, that you have to be able to do by memory because they're so time critical that you couldn't just pull out a checklist. For instance, say you had a rapid decompression. You have to be able to get your mask on and start communicating with the other person. Those are things that are similar every every airplane, seems like. But then there's certain other time-critical aircraft-specific memory items that, that you may have to do. Many times they have to do with steering. Uh, any kind of braking systems and steering systems seem to be common uh, differences. And, and, you know, for instance, say your nose wheel steering doesn't work and you start going off the runway. You have to know how to disconnect that nose wheel steering system on certain airplanes or if it's a braking system uh, an automatic braking system that you have to turn off and figure out how to use your manual brakes those kind of things uh, are the memory items pitch trim runaway pitch trim runaway that's another one um i wouldn't know what that is 
Uh, (laughs) You've got that computer thing. That's a computer thing that that does that. Uh, So so Paul Paul knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, we deal with that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We have rudder trim run away. I knew knew what that is. That's one of the things we get to use. Uh, But, you know, we're joking because I fly this aircraft that's that's highly – automated and uh, it's what's interesting though is uh, we actually do have a procedure for a a we don't call it a pitch trim runaway but a, a nose down pitch or an uncommanded pitch down uh, mm. where it you know the system automatically will pitch down for us if we get too slow well there's an anomaly uh, with air you know the airbus that I fly that we actually have to turn off the co- certain computers not all of them but enough so that we can override the computer See, once you turn off enough computers, we can actually override the the computer and, and actually push down. I'm, I'm very this is a basic level I'm trying to get here, but there's different laws within the computer, and you're turning off those computers, and it allows you to push the nose down. And uh, it's kind but of you certainly want to have that memorized. That's exactly exactly that is one that, that you really need, just like pitch trim runaway that you were talking about. How do you deal with that? You know the, yeah. those type of things. You have to know exactly when, how, and where to put your hands. To turn off those systems, there's a lot of a practical side to this. So now we we memorize this, right, guys? And and what we do is maybe we have I don't know what you do at home, but maybe you have a mock-up, uh, a paper tiger we call it, or you have a picture that you can look at and say, hey, you know, if I have this this system failure, I know to put my fingers up here and turn this thing off and that thing off, and uh, you know, one computer, two computer off, and now that it works, just like with a bitch trim runaway, you know how to turn those things off. So, Tom, uh, you know, what do you do uh, as far as preparing for those type of things? Well, you touched on it, Carl. I mean, you know, memory items, limitations, it's a given. I also like to take a look at the profiles. Uh, you know, how do we need to configure the airplane for certain things, maybe a, a, you know, a, a no-flap approach or a circling approach or, or a wind shear recovery? You know, what do we need to do? So some of the profiles that we're actually going to fly in different scenarios. And then throughout the year, I've gotten in the habit of uh, just writing down questions as they come. You know, I, I might be going somewhere and I'm – Boy, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure what it means when, you know, the uh, the amps are at thirty when they're supposed to be at eighty or whatever it is. And I'll write that down. So that'll be part of my prep kind of throughout the year to take there. Um, and, and and I think you know, it, this doesn't maybe get touched on very much, but part of the prep is just coming there with energy because it is energy consuming. You know, so I try to get sleep. I try to eat well and be hydrated and show up to day one not tired. You know, that's that's a great point. Uh, one thing I found is I, I basically came back from training, went to dinner, and I passed out every night. Uh, right. it was, I was just so tired. Yeah. Uh, the process is, first of all, stressful because you know that if you fail, you could lose your job. You know, And, and then uh, the other stress is the fact that you want to do well also You know, because everybody wants to do well. And, and there's people looking at you, evaluating all the time, and there's many different people. Uh, that that's really important, you know. And and Paul, what what did you do to prepare for yours? Because you did really well in your recurrent. Uh, what is it that you did to get ready for this? I did well. I I kind of did a little bit of what you what you and Tom did. So I I think one of the big things that, that uh, was really helpful to me was I went down there really prepared ahead of time. So and this is this goes for this isn't just for recurrent. This goes for initial. But um, you know. As time goes on and the year passes, maybe some of the limitations, uh, you know, you get a little rusty on. But so I went down there knowing my limitations, my memory action items, um, and and down cold so that I didn't have to worry about studying that stuff when I was down there. 
and I could focus on things that maybe um, came up during class because, as you guys said, it's pretty intensive when you're down there. So, I mean, we were down there. We spent uh, 10, 11-hour days in the classroom, and that so that doesn't leave a lot of time for eating, sleeping, and studying. So when you when you throw studying in there, you know, it's it's – it's exhausting. So I didn't want to waste time, you know, studying limitations and memory action items when I could be doing other things that were more, maybe more important. But I agree with Tom. I go over profiles. I do the EP profiles. I, and I review those throughout the year. Um, when, when I feel like I'm, you know, I might be slipping a little bit and not to the level that I expect myself to be at. Um, Two other things that I do, I, re- I read all throughout the year. So I don't, I think one of the key things is not waiting until, you know, oh my God, I just got the email recurrence this month. I've got to, I've, I, you know, I got to really start cramming. I don't do that. I, as questions come up and I see things on the line every day that I may, maybe, you know, doesn't seem all that familiar to me, I, I go to the book and I start reviewing that stuff right there. You know, you got we have a lot of downtime as, as pilots. And so I use that downtime to maybe get, go into the systems manual or go into my, uh, AOM or GOM and, uh, and, and get those questions answered. And by doing that myself, I find that I, it, I, it, it makes for a better learning experience for me. Um, so that's, that's how I do that. And, and like I said, just go down there as prepared as possible and, uh, free your brain up to ask questions in class and uh, and learn while you're there. You know, I I think that's that's perfect. Tom, uh, you went prepared, and, and Paul went prepared for your recurrent. I quite honestly, I this was probably the least prepared I've ever been for a recurrent, and I started studying about a month in advance. Uh, and right. I was nervous going in. And as a matter of fact, that I had a whole day off, and all I did was study all day long, and then realized, gosh, I'm I'm just not not where I want to be. Uh, when I walk in the door, and uh, you know, I pass and all, and did really well, but there was just I, I'm, you know, and I'm sure you you do this too. I want to know everything about the systems that I need to know. Uh, you talked about both of you talked about profiles, so let's touch on that. Uh, we all have common profiles, meaning uh, ways that we do certain things and set up the airplane. Uh, on the airline side of things, those have to be done in a specific manner, and they have to be done properly, and they have to be done their way. What happens is, and these are done through standard operating procedures that are, are in our manuals, what happens over the year is that we can have a little bit of, you know, SOP drift, I like to call it. You know, we, we kind of drift away from our standard operating procedures, and, you know, we fly with many different people. We need to stay within those. You know, how many times, and, and, you know, I'll admit it, how many times have you said, hey, uh, in, or, in your briefing to land at an airport, you know, this airplane, that airport, we're going to land. You know, that's not really a, a good briefing, is it? You know, we haven't gone over the descent profiles, you know, the preparations, the emergency procedures, et cetera, but you've been flying in there all week and that type of thing. But it's good to, you know, kind of do an abbreviated briefing. That might be a little too abbreviated. But what happens is some people might get to the point where they do that for everything. And that's not good. And uh, and that's something that we, we try to do is to prepare ourselves. Another another thing about that is that I noticed this in the simulator is uh, I think I forget what I said. I said like runway in sight. Well, in our operation, we don't ever say that. We say runway. You'll say in sight. 
in another operation that I've worked in, we said runway in sight, you know, and approach lights in sight. But you don't do that anymore. You say approach lights, and that's it. So those are the type of things. It's how you say things are really important. These kind of sound weird that we're talking about this, but they are very important. Uh, just like, you know, within our operation, which was different than some others, is that you point at the altitude that you selected in the altitude selector or whatever. The, you actually will point at and you tell the person next to you what altitude you're going towards. Those are the type of things that you have to prepare for. And honestly, if you haven't been, you know, using your procedures all year long, it comes out in the simulator. And it comes out during the high-stress situations mm -hmm. when you notice that somebody hasn't been standard uh, throughout the year. And, and and I actually, what's interesting, and we all, I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't like training until I'm done. Then I really like training. You yeah, know, exactly. It, it's like it's it's like you're going to to say the dentist, and you hate to get your your tooth worked on, but afterwards you feel so much better, so you have a toothache. But you're all there's all this anxiety going in there, and gosh, you hate to use the analogy. It's like getting a tooth drilled, but you know, it's <laughs> it, it, at times it sometimes feels like that. But you get there, and then afterwards you're like, oh man, that was great because I've been doing something wrong for a whole year, and no one told me, and it's like, oh my gosh. No one ever told me that I was wrong. It's like, yeah, you know, no, it's not a big deal. Is it? Is it a safety-related thing? Maybe not, but it could be. So now someone said, hey, you know, you have to do it this way. I was like, oh, my God, I've been doing it this way this whole year. And and it says it in the book. This isn't the way to do it. And, that, and that's something that I think is really cool. I don't know, Paul, Have you? did you get any of those type of takeaways from your training? Yeah, I did. Actually, something that it just uh, – you reminded me as you were talking and I was sitting here listening. When you're talking about – you mentioned – um, how at your airline you call you call the runway on a on a an approach, and so you have the guy that you're flying with is expecting to hear what the book says that he's going to hear. And I find, at least for me, and I don't maybe it's the same for you guys, maybe not, but I find that it's very distracting when people don't use the standard. Um, I don't want to call it standard phraseology, but the the, stand, the standard jargon that's that's uh, that we're expected to say in the book. So for us, we do say approaching minimums, um, and then you would expect the other guy to say lights in sight, runways in sight, or continuing. You know, and, and so I'm expecting this, you know, to get the response back. Um, I'm expecting a certain response based on what somebody says to me, or vice versa. And so when that doesn't happen. It stumbles you for a second, and you try, and you're trying to figure out. Okay, wait, where are we? And and so I find it very distracting, personally, as far as that goes. So I think, um, I think, get, you know, sticking to the um, the company outlined procedures and uh, callouts in the profiles is really really important. And I did experience that in the simulator also with. Um, you know, just it's a great learning opportunity. I think training. You know, we're jazzed up because, like you said, it's a high, it's a high stress situation where our jobs on the line. Maybe you know, or you ha you want to do well because we're that's the type of people that we are as pilots. But um, you know, it's you can't forget like any other training event, checking event. It's a great learning opportunity, and I always walk away, like you said, maybe maybe not so much in the in the in the 
you know, as it's going on because you're so focused on doing well. But at the end, you're like, wow, I, re- I learned, you know, A, B, and C. And man, I really, I'm going to apply that. I'm going to start applying that when I, on the line. And it makes you a better pilot. Every time you come out of training, you're a better pilot. That's for sure. And a humbled pilot often. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I tell you, that's, uh, it's one of those things that you, you, you go into and you think you're a hotshot pilot and you do something you're like, oh, man, what did I do that for? You know, no yeah, matter exactly. who you're flying with, uh, you know, I get to fly with some, some great pilots all the time. And, boy, uh, even they, they mess up, too. It's like, gosh, what the heck did I do that for? You know, and you're in this environment where it's, it's training. And uh, they're going to they're gonna humble you. That's, that's for sure. If you're real cocky, you won't be afterwards. That's, that's a definite. <laughs> you know, talking about the time frame, though, and, and, Paul, I'd like to hear your perspective because this is your first recurrent. Right. When did you begin training or begin your studying I should say well like I said I I don't really feel like I ever stopped studying you know I mean I I constantly reviewed throughout the year but I would say probably two months before I I mean I knew I knew it I knew it was coming up uh, this month so two months before I started really um, preparing more intensely Um, and you know I think I, I I was prepared because it wasn't a cram session. You know, as two two months came and I, I started going over the memory action. I, I have my flash. I have a flashcard app on the uh, iPad, okay. so I started going over the limitations and the memory action items again. Two months out, maybe it was three. You know, maybe two and a half months out. Um, and so I had that down, and then I started reviewing some areas in the systems and op, uh, systems manual and the uh, GOM and AOM that I knew that they were going to focus on, and you know, so so by the time the uh, I got too recurrent, I really wasn't I wasn't I wasn't studying really really hard as much as I was just kind of reviewing things. But for me, another interesting point is you go you know, and this it sort of goes off of the recurrent and maybe drifts back over to initial a little bit. But in initial, there there's a ton of information. There's a ton of information in recurrent too, but. But it's not new. It's not all new. Hopefully, it's not all new information. But in, in initial, it's it's certainly all new, and it's a lot. It's it's really it, one of the most challenging things I've ever done is uh, learning all that stuff that you needed to know. And so you feel like you're barely just you're just holding on uh, th- throughout that training event, and then you get on the line, and you have to learn you have to learn the operation, you have to learn the airplane. Um, you know, and in my case, I was a new airline pilot, so I'm learning how to be a new airline pilot. So, you, you know, you're, that takes time. And so now I go to recurrent with a year of flying experience behind me. And boy, does that open up your eyes to see, um, to really be able to learn a, a, a lot more in terms of, um, you know, systems, you could get really, you get really, uh, far more in depth into the systems i think it, it allows you to be able to really start nitpicking and asking really pointed questions and so i i thought it was a really great experience um so, going back to recurrent after a year of you know flying the line so and talking of systems and then I'll, I'll ask tom about you know how much time he took to prepare but the systems knowledge uh that is one of the things that i hear complaints about often is that we've gotten away from 
being able to build the airplane. You know, you go out there, and that's kind of a philosophy. You know, if it's green, it's good. If it's yellow, look it up in the checklist. If it's red, we need to do something right away. So there's, you know, it's it's, it's a kind of we've kind of dumbed it down. Some people say, but having systems knowledge is incredibly important. When I started my airline career, you know, our systems knowledge was so much different. Like here I am, a molecule. I'm coming through the engine. Now, you know what's happening now, and here I am, a molecule going through the packs. We don't do that now. You know, the, the pack flow, you control, you put on, that's it, and you're done. And if it uh, got a yellow uh, sign, then it's bad, and we need to check something out, you know. Right. Uh, how about, did you feel that you, uh, you've just gone through an initial about a year ago, that your systems knowledge on this aircraft is has been watered down a little bit or is different than in the past? No, I think it's, I, I think they do a pretty good job. It's a pretty thorough systems review um we do actually uh i laugh i was actually laughing to myself when you said i'm an air molecule i mean we we do that um we we're a molecule there and we track ourselves through packs and and acms and and all this stuff and so yeah we do that and and uh but like i said you know in in initial there's only so much information your brain can at least for me anyway there's only so much information i i can retain um, and so I, I think as the year, well, that's why I took it upon myself as the year went on to read more in the systems manual as, as I saw things in the airplane as we were flying. And then in recurrent, you know, we went, we actually had the exact same, uh, systems presentation that we got in initial. We actually had that in recurrent in three days. So what we did in our systems class was a week and a half, um, or was it two weeks, two weeks, um, so what we did in those two weeks, we did in three days in, in addition to doing other, other things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the same slides at a much, uh, sort of quicker pace. I think in recurrent, we sort of, um, we would go, we would skip over more quickly the things that we really, really knew. And then the areas that we had questions on, um, or the areas that the instructors felt that pilots were weak on, we would spend more time on. And so, um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really excellent. And so, yeah, we do get pretty involved, I think in the systems. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That, you know, and, and that's what I've had in the past, but it's kind of gotten away from that over the years, uh, that I've been, been at the airlines. It's kind of a different philosophy. I think we're going back to some more systems knowledge. I wonder, uh, in I general, wonder how much of that is part of the airplane though. You're on an airplane that's highly automated and I'm not right. I'm on right. an airplane that's very, you know, I mean, it's, I have to do everything. So yeah. I wonder how much of that is, you know. I, I, it's interesting because we are kind of going back to that a little bit. You know, a good systems knowledge helps quite a bit, uh, especially during an operation where you see something go on. You're like, well, if I knew that systems knowledge, then right. I wouldn't have to actually look it up. Hey, everything's okay. We're good to go. Right. So so there is there is that part that really systems knowledge does help a lot. You know, when you see something happen, you can actually say in your mind, hey, I know why that's happening. And uh, and I think that's good to know as much as you can. I'm wondering on the corporate side of things, um, what they do as far as, as systems knowledge, et cetera. Uh, Tom, what what do you do as far as do you, do you actually get that molecule and follow it through the engine? You know, it depends on the instructor. I mean, I've seen it both both extremes where it was, uh, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? You know, all the way through following the air molecule. And I think there's a balance there. Uh, you know, I I, I I tend to get a little bit in disagreement with the emphasis on systems knowledge because, you know, in the heat of the battle, 
you're going to pull that checklist out and it's going to tell you what to do. Now, that's not an excuse for not you know, having a general understanding of how and why your system is working. But I think more importantly is uh, what I've seen guys spend more time on in the corporate side over the years is operational knowledge. You know, we got corporate airplanes running off runways. We got corporate airplanes you know, going upside down 500 feet on an approach. And so, great, you can you know, tell me what an air molecule does as it goes through the eight stages of the air cycle machine, but you can't recover from a stall. Right. You know, and so the operational knowledge, I've really seen that come uh, uh, more into play on the corporate side uh, over the last, I'd say, three to five years uh, as systems have maybe, you know, building the airplane uh, rivet by rivet has kind of faded off and, and we've moved more to the real reality, real world type of operating the machine. You know, and I think, uh, and I, I agree with that. The the one thing I, I would add, though, that one good thing about systems knowledge in the operation in general is that having a better systems knowledge might may expedite the operation slightly. Uh, sure. And, and that's something that's good. But, yeah, I agree with that. I think that that is something that's happening. Is we're, It's not just good to corporate side. I mean, look at all the problems they've had on the airline side where we're going back to a rudimentary hand-flying type of events. I mean, yeah. I just went through recurrent where I've never done this much hand flying ever <laughs> uh, in in my training. I mean, it, we had the autopilot off quite a bit uh, and uh, flight directors off and doing everything, you know, auto thrust, you know, we have all this automation, all that's turned off. I do that anyway when I'm flying, uh, especially when it's VFR, I, I'd like to turn it off. But uh, you're right. I mean, why are we having these loss of control? We're having loss of control in highly automated aircraft like right. the Airbus. And why is right. that? It's because we don't we don't understand certain things uh, about our system. Not only that, we we don't understand that we need to do a certain checklist, and that that's something that's been happening. And operationally, we shouldn't be going down that rabbit hole anyway. You know, a lot yeah. of times we've gotten in trouble. You know, it's it's because sometimes we haven't run that checklist, etc. You know, maybe it's an unreliable airspeed checklist that we never ran that, and, you know, we stall the aircraft or, or just like I'm talking about. Uh, I'll tell you, some, some of the best recurrence I've been to have been where it was a session of, you know, I basically, I learned about flying from that, you know, that old uh, article, I think it was in the OPA, where guys are saying, hey, look, I was going from A to B. This happened. This is what we did. And then you have this discussion, and I have gained more systems knowledge through those discussions because then, you know, well, well, oh, your, your left pack overheated. Well, well, why did that happen? And then you dive in and you go, well, here's what I did and, and, and this is why it didn't work. And, you, and that, I have found, ends up being a great way to go through systems because, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about in recurrent and probably I've not been to an initial in a while, but I would be willing to bet is we talk about all these limitations on the airplane and all these limitations and, you know, our manuals restrict us. But what we fail over and over to talk about yet it is highly impactful to the operation, is the limitations on the person. Right. We can only do so much in a time frame. We can only think. We can only process. So knowing our own limitations, I think, helps us comply with the system, the operational, the mechanical limitations. And, and, and those stories you know, where guys said, look, you know, I, I capacitied out. I missed that. And here's what happened. And here's how we were. Boy, oh, boy, I've seen recurrence become very valuable very quick through those discussions where you kind of step away from the script a bit. And, and that's interesting you mentioned that because uh, a lot of the training at the airlines especially, and I'm, I'm sure Paul can chime in, is that you do go through a lot of this 
this human factors and threat and error management courses during your recurrent training and during your initial training, how do we mitigate these threats and and how do we solve those problems in the problems not physically but the problems that are in our mind you know how do we how do we mitigate a certain threat that's out there physically but also how do we mitigate the threat that's internally and and you know th- there's some great exercises that we have uh doing threat and error management and i and i'm sure they do on the corporate side but you're right i mean it's that it's that human part of the equation you know that that's actually causing most of those accidents you know we are the biggest limitation we are absolutely yeah, oh, yeah. and and, but but how do we how do we change that and how right. do we move forward and how do you manage it and how do we right how do we manage it I mean how it's a hard thing that? to do because you require you're requiring human beings to manage the human errors right. and yeah. the okay. same human being who could be creating the causing the error I mean I I'd be curious to know how some other airlines do it I only have experience at my airline but on the on the 135 side I I've also worked uh, you know I also work as a medevac nurse and. Uh, that's a 135 operation, and uh, in that operation, we do risk assessments. And so there's a huge long list of stuff, and 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 you go through that every morning on your morning brief, and, and every afternoon when the new pilot would come on and, and for the evening shift, and you would go through this and you check off, you know, well this guy's only been here for one year so he get he gets a he's a four there uh he's not night current or you know he's only got he does he can't be on goggles or you know and there's a whole list of a whole litany of things that you go through and then it rates a score and then based on that score it determines your your risk category right. and so um you have i guess you have a an idea going in and if you hit a certain level you ju- the the mission scrubbed like you you're just not flying Right. And so, um, I don't think we really do that at the airline level. I know we don't do it at, our, at my airline, but I don't know if that's done at any airline risk assessment yeah, tools. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, the threat and error management, I think, is a big part of that. You know, and uh, it's really, I think, that's a really important part of it. You know, it's it's having that risk assessment and having those tools, and we we do that at our land and some of the others. Uh, so I really think. You know, it's really important to to go back and 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 look at what your airlines doing. Maybe they do have it, but it's just in a written form and not so much in any other other type of format. But, uh, right. but yeah, getting prepared for this. The, you know, just to sum up, I know we're kind of getting you know off a little bit here, but uh, in this discussion, but we have all these tools. Get yourself ready for this this preparing for this training that's coming up. This recurrent, I think it's really important that we uh, you know. That we actually study, and remember, you're going to have an oral exam. You're going to have a flight test involved. Uh, you're going to be really nervous, but the more you're prepared, the better you'll do, obviously, and, uh, and the less nervous you'll be. I mean, I, I really, when I went into my oral exam, I was I was not not that nervous because I studied all the night before, you know. <laughs> so that helped it quite. <laughs> you know, bit. Carl, I think a big takeaway here for the listeners is you know this career. When you decide to go into an aviation career, it's really all about preparation. I mean, we don't just prepare for recurrent, but you know, think of the laundry list of things we're always spending. We really spend more time preparing for stuff than we do really anything else, right? You know, preparing that's for your true. flight, preparing for your trip, preparing for recurrent. The list goes on and on, and I think that's probably an important uh, bullet from our conversation. All right, All right. Well, that's cool. I mean, this is a getting prepared for recurrent. I think, like you said, it's it's preparing, and uh, you know, there's. There's a there's a lot you can do for your airline to prepare. Ask you know another thing that we didn't mention. Ask the people who've gone through training before. Ask them what their experience was. 
and they're they're more than willing to help you out. That's really really important. But anyway, let's let's move on from that. We got a couple other things to talk about. We only don't have that much more time left. But one of the things I wanted to to mention, talking about preparation, just really quickly uh, tie this in is that. I know a lot of folks are getting ready for interviews and that type of thing, and we've had uh, a couple of uh, people that have done really successfully, uh, that have done very well, excuse me, and have been successful in getting a job, and that's uh, that through our interview preparation that we've been doing. Uh, I know a lot of people have asked for it in emails, do you do interview prep? And yes, we do. A couple of the airlines that we do interview prep for, of course, uh, there's uh, you know ExpressJet Airlines, SkyWest, and, and JetBlue, but... Uh, Paul has actually uh, has a lot of knowledge on a couple of the, the interviews, and those are with Cape Air and actually Commute Air. And uh, just a quick summary, uh, Paul. You know what what is it that uh, you know what is it that you do for them when when they come to you? I know you just had one successful interview prep, and they just got a job. I think it was last week, so that's awesome at Cape Air. So so what do, what do you do to prepare them? Well, I mean, the first thing I I, I start from scratch. I pretend that. That they don't know anything, and I tell them in the beginning. I, I apologize up front. I'm not trying to uh, minimize anything they know, but I don't know what they what they know or don't know. So I just, you know, some really silly questions like, "Do you have a suit?" Um, because okay. I've seen and heard people show up for interviews that that were not dressed in in appropriate attire. So, I mean, it, it starts there, and and which is which I know sounds very very basic to a lot of people, but to some people it's not. Um, and then and then we move on and we talk about I try and get a sense of uh, who they are. It's almost like an interview in a sense, in in a way because that's what the human resources folks are going to do. I mean the the whole purpose of the interview is to get to know you, um, not just as a pilot but as a person. So I try and I try and uh, just make them feel relaxed and and get to know them a little bit. And then we go into the specifics of of each airline. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, as an example, with uh, with Cape Air, uh, Cape Air doesn't necessarily um, focus too heavily on the technical side, but typically um, the the interviews will focus on a technical portion and a non-technical or HR portion. Um, but the technical portion for Cape Air, one of the questions that they like to ask, um, what is uh, what do you do? What would you do if you had an engine failure right after departure? Um, and it, and it's a scenario. They give you a scenario, and the scenario is um, uh, and you have insufficient altitude to to return. And so they just want to know how you would handle that. And um, and so we we talk about how you uh, you know not just physically what you would do, but you would run your you would do your your uh, engine failure flow and pull out the checklist if you had time and if you didn't have time um, you know make your calls and, and things like that so we just talk about that and and we let them practice how they would say it to the HR person so that's part of the interview prep is practicing um, <clears throat> just practicing saying it because if they if they make a mistake it's good to make a mistake in the interview prep or if we want to refine something maybe just a little bit it's good to do it there so that they're not doing it in the interview um, so that's that's how we do that with the technical portion and then the non-technical portion is very much um, a way for the the human resources people to get to know you so um, they're going to want to know things like conflict resolution or um, customer service. And so they ask you questions about um, – tell me about a time when you had 
uh, a disagreement with a coworker? How did you, how did you handle it? How did it, what was the whole scenario? So then, so we, we talk out, we talk about good scenarios to talk about, and then we go from there. <clears throat> and so we do that with, with the various questions that uh, might come up. And so, yeah, that's what we do there. Interesting. They, and, and, you know, that's a, that was a quick summary, obviously, you know, if we're, we're not, oh, yeah. we would yeah. love to have, you know, Kate Bear come on and commute air, just like we did with ExpressJet. And we are, are putting those interviews together and tell us what their interview process is. But, but it really, I think is important, even if you know everything is to practice, whether it's in front of a mirror, uh, you know, that's good. I know some people don't do the interview preps, but it's a great idea to get somebody that is, is going to, going to tell you like it is you know it's yeah, not unbiased opinion unbiased right opinion yep, yep. about and it's hard to do sometimes when and i have to do it almost every day you know with with doing you know the interview preps and the job preps and, and doing the coaching but uh remember we want you to get that job so whatever we're telling you is some that we feel you need to refine it's because we want you to move forward and and get that job uh so uh it's not Absolutely. you know they some people call it constructive criticism i i, I just I just like to call it constructive, you know. So I right. think it's really, really important to to do that. So that's that's great. And if if somebody's interested in those interview preps, by the way, uh, we won't go into too much. Just uh, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. dot com, and I'll have uh, whoever we have different individuals that do certain interviews. And if you if it's an airline that we do the interview prep for, uh, we'll help you out. If it isn't, we have uh, you know a couple other companies that we refer you to uh, for the different airline interviews, and there's some really terrific people there. So it's not one that we do. We definitely get you in touch with a person that we feel is one of the best out there. Uh, and we've had a couple of them uh, on the show in the past. Um, but um, moving forward, though, thank, hey, you know, Paul, that's great. And congrats that, you know, so far you have 100% success rate on the Oh, yeah, it was with us, so that's really, cool. really, really gratifying. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was incredible. Yeah, it, it is. He did neat. a great job. Yeah, and and he was, uh, he, he was that the person uh, we were talking about. He was just so excited that he was able to get this job, and uh, he actually did a successful interview with another airline, and I did his interview review prep for that one. So he kind of had a choice as to where to go. So I thought that that's was great, pretty cool stuff. So uh, that is probably one of my favorite things is to hear those things. So if you have any success stories, please send them in feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Hey, uh, one of the things I'd like to do, depending if you guys have some time and maybe answer a couple uh, listener mails here, if that's let's okay. Let's do it. All right. Sure, let's, let's, take it. A, let's take a peek at some of these. Uh, if you do have a question, you know, obviously send it in and we try to de-identify as much as we can uh, in that email. We won't uh, read your name, etc. cetera. Um, but anyway, here we go with our first question. It says, hi there. Thank you for the great podcast. Do you have any tips for anyone who is interested in converting to EASA? I'm currently on track for my FAA license at an academy in Florida, and I'm seriously considering getting my EASA license to return to Europe to work. This person actually is somebody who uh, who is actually from over in Europe and wants to return there. There's a list of schools that are out there. I'm not going to name them all because I hate to miss one, uh, but but we've mentioned some of the Oxfords and all th- those type of things, the Oxford Academies. Uh, there's going from EASA to FAA. I know that question was asked before. That's fairly uh, not that uh, tough to do. Uh, the, that's another thing that you can do here. The FA has some information, but they're kind of bogged down. There's a couple schools that are actually in Florida that, uh, and I should say throughout the country, that will uh, actually help you out there. So uh, the biggest thing is is researching them online. Uh, I know, like I said, I know a couple of them, uh, and uh, they all are, are fairly good. Just make sure that it's, uh, 
you know, it's a legitimate organization, which most of them are these days, and especially they've been around for a long time. Uh, somebody actually asked me about, uh, um, who is it, CAE, and I can't say enough about CAE. As a matter of fact, I was just in one of their simulators uh, the other day. They're, they're a wonderful organization. So, uh, Tom or, or Paul, did you want to chime in on that with IASA? Lots of coffee. <laughs> Lots of coffee. <laughs> yeah. That's a process. Yeah, yeah it is. I don't have any experience with that. Did Tom, uh, Tom, did you do yours or no? I looked into doing it and was quickly uh, warded off. It's it's unexce- <laughs> It's it's just it's a very long process. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like getting your Australian pilot certificate from a U.S. Oh, we have somebody we're going to have yeah. on that did that. It's very costly too, I believe. I mean, <laughs> what I found, it's you know, I yeah, yeah I, I think it um, raises the wall, the entry wall, quite high. But if that's where you're going to get your job, that's what you yeah, need to do. Yeah, no, so. good point. That, that's a good idea. But uh, anyway, well, thanks for that question. Uh, and hopefully we've answered it in a, in a roundabout way there. Uh, we will, uh, I'll forward you some of those other flight schools if you write me back again. There's a couple other ones out there I want to send to you. Uh, next person uh, wrote in about the commercial pilot solo long cross country. So it does a 300 mile solo long cross country with a 250 nautical mile leg, which will actually be 500, uh, have to be done solo. Uh, without anyone in the airplane except yourself, or can it be done with passengers? If I'm going to be do a long trip, I should be able to bring my family, provided I'm the sole manipulator of the controls. Correct? Thanks, and love the show. So, for our flight instructors out there, Paul, can you answer this one? This is yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, unfortunately, it's going to be a long trip by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, solo means by yourself, solo, with n- no occupants in the uh, airplane. Right, zero, zil, you know, don't... It's- if, Nothing. If, don't don't bring do your, it. Your cat, your dog, you know, cat would yeah. be interesting. But don't bring your <laughs> dog with you. Or, uh, if if a fly happens to get in the aircraft, that's okay. That's not considered uh, <laughs> being flying with somebody. But uh, no, it's got to be by yourself. And I, I hate to say that because yeah, it's a bummer because there's so many people want to do that with somebody else. And, well, it's fun. It's your first. Oh, lot, for a lot of these people, it's their first real long trip. You know, by them. You know. In, the, in this environment and yeah you want to share it with people and it, right. it's a bummer but you can't do it solo solo and, solo uh, solo yep. yeah it's, it's a tough one I, I hear that question quite a bit and I, I really feel bad when I have to tell people no sorry you have to do it uh, by yourself it is kind of cool flying by yourself though it gives you a lot of time to think you don't realize uh, how much we do just sitting there and flying straight and level I think that's why we have two pilot crews at the airline, so we don't get bored sitting there for five hours. You actually have someone to talk to. Need somebody to talk to. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, but it does help to have somebody there to talk to them. Uh, so, no, you got you got to be by yourself. But thanks for that question. Great, great question. Uh, next question comes in, and this is really interesting question. And I, I'd, like, I'd like Paul to answer this one. Uh, it says here, uh, can you actually make a living? On forty dollars an hour, your first year, and pay your school bills. Hmm. So forty dollars. What do you think of that, uh, Paul? Well, you can. I'm doing it. Um, I'm not quite making forty bucks an hour yet at the airline, anyway. But uh, you know, yeah, you could do it. Um, I just uh, in case people don't remember from previous episodes, I'm I have. I'm a little, uh, this is a second career for me, so I'm a little bit older than the, maybe the average guy getting into the regional business. Um, but so I have a wife and two kids and a mortgage and all that stuff. So it's expensive. And so I, I, I work another job. I'm, I'm also a nurse. 
so that that supplements my my airline income um, because I live in a really high cost of living area of the country. So um, you can do it. It is a lot of work. I wouldn't I wouldn't sugarcoat it. I work. It seems like I work every day. You know, twelve hours a day at times. Um, I, I don't, but. It, it sure feels that way sometimes. That's a, but you can do it, and you know ultimately, I think what what you have to really uh, what you're focusing on is your the fact that you're doing what you really want to do. And for me, I really, really, really wanted to be an airline pilot. It's something I always wanted to do. And in order to do things like that, you have to make sacrifices. So we cut back on we cut back spending on everything that we didn't need to that we didn't absolutely need to spend money on. That was, and so you just, you get, you, you buckle down and you get real, real, uh, focused on your budget. And, and it's hard because, you know, you want to do things and, and you can't always. Um, but you're, you know, I, I feel like I'm working, I'm working towards something I'm working and, and eventually the money's going to change. And for me at the airline that I'm at, we got, we got some pretty big news, and there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of movement. And so, when we were in recurrent training, they told us that uh, they told us to start studying for upgrade training. So, I, th- you know, if if all goes well, I'll I'll go for I'll I'll be making I'll be making a a, a living that is um, comfortable right. at the regional airline. So, yeah, you can do it, and and it's and it's very satisfying. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, it took me a good five years before I even got near $40 an hour. As a matter of fact, I was making $16 an hour uh, for the first yeah. few years. And uh, what's interesting is that uh, the, the $40 an hour actually really equates to like $20 an hour in a normal job because you're, right. you know, you're only being paid for, say, about 20 hours a week. Uh, because even though you're at work, you only get paid for the flight time. And uh, I know this person writes in and said the median household income is uh, 53000 But remember that the median annual wage for all occupations for an individual is about 34000 in that range in the 2012 numbers or whatever, right. uh, which is pretty close to, you know, that's a median income. So there's a lot of people making a lot less that are they're able to go forward. Remember this. This is really important. This is just starting pay. Uh, it's like making a living on, on just, you know, minimum wage. You know, do most people make a living at that? No, but it's a way for them to get some experience and move forward. And uh, so that that pay is going to go up rather dramatically. As a matter of fact, uh, interestingly enough, uh, my first year, you know, with a major airline, flying an Airbus, I was making close to that. Uh, so yeah, you definitely can do it. It's going to be a lot of, like you said, a lot of sacrifices. And, uh, you know, when I was making 16 bucks an hour, that was a, that was a stretch. That was that was a lot. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know if I could do that if I. Yeah. Well, and you have children, so it's all it's right. all based on where you are. You know, right. being a single person, having only have to live with a couple boxes or whatever. Right. Uh, Tom, now can you remember back when you were first starting? What your salary was when you started? Uh, eighteen, I believe. Eighteen. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what year was that? That was two thousand. So that's not that long ago. Oh, that's regional salary, right? Right, right. Eighteen an hour. That's that's not much. And uh, so things have really come up quite a bit. Uh, yeah. I, they yeah. I wish they were better than that, um, but they have come up. So and the reason being is that they have to entice people to come work. So uh, yeah, that doesn't include a lot of these airlines are offering sign-on bonuses now. 
right. um, which doesn't factor into that. So you have to look at, at the specific airline that you're interested in. Um, some offer, I think most actually now at the regional level are offering sign-on bonuses um, up to as much as I believe $15,000 at some places. Um, I can't remember what, maybe one had a sign-on bonus for $20,000. So that, that, you know, that helps offset the, the lower starting salaries, which I know that's, that gets into a whole nother debate, which I don't really think we want to get into. No, no. And that, and and that's where, you know, that, that's something we, it could be talked about, but I think the regional airlines have an easy way of selling it. uh, Not as easy as it used to be. Right. Listen, you're going to get the experience. You're going to move on. It doesn't pay. doesn't matter. Uh, It does because you could be spending a lot of time like I did at, you know, over a decade at a regional. Right. Uh, So, and, and the pays at the regional as you get more senior, obviously pays really well. Uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody who was making 130 a year at the regional. Now he's got to move on to the majors and make less than half of that. Right. You know, that, that's a tough one there. I think of the Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yes. <laughs> it all depends on your expenses, too. I mean, that's yeah. that's really important. Um, you know, yeah, you have to look at true. that. Uh, if you have a house payment, you have all these obligations. And that's what happens as you move on in life. Um, you know, I've luckily I live really well below my means, and I think that's really important to do that as a pilot. You wonder why pilots are so cheap, and that's why because you know yeah. you lose your job, you're moving to another job, and you're starting all over again. Uh, there are no lateral moves in the aviation unless you're in the corporate world. That's a little bit different, right. uh, which is is very appealing uh, for someone to go into that that uh, endeavor of being the corporate pilot. Correct, Tom? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the next question, I think we have time for one more, and. Uh, we're almost at the hour mark. Uh, says here, I'm a, a new listener, but greatly appreciate all the great advice and encouragement you provide to current and future pilots. I'm a 23-year-old, 800-hour flight instructor with a CFI IIIMEI, currently looking to advance my career in aviation with the ultimate goal of making it to the majors. While I can continue on the path of flight instructing at a rate of about 80 hours a month, which, by the way, is pretty good, I have explored a few options, right seating in a, a 91K, Part 91K in a 135 environment as a way of gaining experience and better my flying skills before the airline. I was wondering how the regionals and or majors view this kind of time over flight instructing or if it's just total time that matters. One operator flies a PC-12 and would allow me to jumpstart logging turbine time, while another flies piston twins logging the ever-valuable multi-engine time. I've rolled both sides of the argument, multi-piston versus single turbine, would greatly appreciate any insight they may be able to provide. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to future podcasts. Not sure if this helps, but I have a bachelor's in aerospace engineering and about 800 total time, 125 multi, uh, 135 instrument, and meet the requirements for most regionals with the exception of the total time. Doing some research, I saw that most majors just look for an ATP and a 1,000 turbine time. I'm assuming doing all that time in the Platus uh, is not considered good enough for the majors, correct? Thank you so much. Uh, that's correct. That, those are minimum times at the majors. That uh, That's not the real minimums. The real minimums are the ones that aren't advertised. And um, a lot of majors are, are talking like 4,000 hours, uh, 3,000 hours before you're e- they're going to even look at you. Uh, some are 5,000 hours. It all depends. So that, that total time is important. Multi-engine time is important too. Um, uh, I use me as an example. Uh, I didn't have much multi-engine time when I got on with the regionals. Immediately got furloughed after I got to the regional. So by the time I left the airline, I think I had 180 hours of multi-engine time after working for a regional for six months. That's not too much. 
So uh, you know, having that type of time is important. Uh, as far as the uh, the airline flying, uh, you had mentioned uh, another airline that flies Piston Twins. Uh, I really like the 121 time. And uh, Paul, I'd like to hear your your thought on that one with the the airline side. I think 121 time is really valuable. Um, I've done both now, so um, 135 and 121 are just two different animals. And so I think you know it, it probably depends on what his what the end game is for him. If he wants to go to a major, or does he want to go to a uh, does he want to stay at a 135? Um, if he wants to stay to 135, then by all means, I think that's fine. And it's great flying, and it's great experience. And I think it helped me in my, you know, in my training at my airline because I had gone through checking events as a 135 pilot. So I had been through an initial training, and I'd been I had a couple of check rides under my belt with the FAA. Um, so that, <clears throat> excuse me, that was I think very valuable in helping me get through. Um, my training at the airline, but in terms of operational differences, the differences at the on a 135 level and a 121 level are so different. I think that if you want to get, if you want to go to the airline, go to an airline and get that experience. I understand what he's saying though with the turbine time and and you know if you do go to a 121, yeah. uh, you know there are other opportunities there. I'm, uh, on the on the corporate side of the house, it's uh, you know a, a lot of it I think depends also on who you are. And how you present right. yourself, and uh, Tom, what is that? Would that be correct? That assessment? Yeah, it's very true. But um, I would lean towards if I had to assign a, a weight to that. Uh, you know, I would give say seventy percent weight to that multi, thirty percent to that turbine. You're just going to learn more, and you're going to be a better pilot flying right. a twin engine airplane by yourself. Uh, you know, I, you just like you were saying earlier. Um, uh, you can't sugarcoat that. You know that's a fact, and so hiring managers recognize that, and I think that's probably the the more intelligent path. If you know, as we've mentioned, the end game. If your end game is airline and and complex operations, yeah, you need that twin multi time. Yeah, that's great. Thank. That's some great insight, Tom. Um, and then you know all these questions that you focus on the airlines. I tell you, there's um, like I, I, Tom will agree. There are so many great jobs out there flying corporate. So don't don't discount that also. Uh, we and just to add to that, and Tom probably knows some people in this boat. We have, at, well, not just our airline, but other airlines. We have a lot of people come in from the corporate world. Tell you what, these guys are sharp. They've been flying over the water in a multi-engine jet, and they know everything about flying internationally. So to them, it's it's pretty easy when they come to the airline because they've gone through the operation. They've actually had to do a lot of that stuff themselves. Uh, you know, Tom. I don't know. You you've flown over the pond and uh, or over water and uh, to internationally, and there's a lot of work you have to do yourself. Yeah, I, I've not gone all the way across, but halfway across both of them. And uh, you know what's interesting? You you mentioned the guys who come to the airlines from corporate flying, and they say, "Oh, this is just it's so uh, easy." Is the wrong word, but that's you know it's so right. easy is what they say. And uh, because in the corporate world, we do we you know we don't just show up and fly. And there's, we're, we're so deeply involved in the back end of the operation. You, know, you mentioned earlier, Carl, writing ops manuals you know, or, or profile manuals when we were talking about recurrent. And you know, to go from this environment 
where it's not a nine to five job, but you are working, you're doing things when you're not flying. Then to go to the airlines where you literally can show up, it is easy. <laughs> you know, it's at least it feels that way. And uh, you're right; it's kind of two different two different drills. The guys who who you're seeing come over from corporate. Um, I'm and I'm glad to hear, by the way, that you say they're sharp uh, because. You know, we don't have that structure that the airlines have, and so it's good to hear the guys are indeed coming over there and you feel that they're competent and good pilots. So our corporate industry is, is self-policing itself there, it sounds like, which is good to hear. Yeah, and, and I think if after that many years flying uh, jets around, I think you do learn something. So that's, Yes, <laughs> yeah. Especially, you know, you, you've experienced it. and Because uh, I actually learned – it's interesting because my person in my class that taught me the most about international flying was a guy who never flew the airlines. He was a corporate yeah, guy. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, because you're doing everything. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're having to figure out your ETPs, and you're having to figure out yeah. where you're going to divert to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't even know what ETP meant, you know, equal time. <laughs> and I was like, what, what? Yeah, okay, whatever. And uh, in route alternates, that type of thing, and, and island alternates. And, you know, it's, it's nice to know those things beforehand. And, uh, you know, it, it really is interesting. It is fascinating stuff. And we, we could do a whole episode about internationally flying. Maybe we'll, we will do that sometime. You know, we got one more question, so let's let's get to this one. Hey, thanks for that question, by the way. Like he, you know, Tom said, I agree with him. I would lead more towards the multi-engine time, even though it's piston time. I think uh, also Paul would agree. So, absolutely. On, on to the next one. Here we have uh, last one. Says I just finished all the podcast episodes. I do understand that your focus is pilots. However, what about mechanics? AMPs keep you in the air. Do you know of any AMP scholarships? Is anyone working on a facet of, uh, of aviation careers? Maybe I could help. We'd love to have you help. It seems that pilots are better organized than mechanics. I enjoy the podcast. I'm waiting for the next one. Uh, he also mentioned that uh, he's involved in one of the AA chapters, etc. Um, we do have, actually, we've had a couple uh, mechanics on the episodes. I know, I think the way iTunes is set up, they're not all out there, but they are on the on the uh, website, aviationcareerspodcast.com, past episodes. It's one of our first uh, few episodes were mechanics, and we'll definitely start concentrating on that. It seems to go in cycles. We try to to weave our way through, you know, we get a lot of emails about mechanics. We'll start interviewing more mechanics. Uh, we, I actually work with an aviation maintenance school that allows us to use their lecture hall. I lecture at that school, uh, and it's it's a wonderful and it's a large school. But we have we do have scholarships in the scholarships guide, uh, mechanics scholarships, and they're out there. Uh, so I know of at least three of them off the top of my head. So yes, we've done that, but we would love to hear more. And, and this person actually uh, mentioned that they do have a scholarship. We would love to see that in the scholarships guide. And if you have one, if you have a scholarship that you're interested in, in placing in the guide, just send it to us. So send us some information about it at feedback at aviationcruisepodcast.com and, and we'll put it into our guide. It's getting bigger and bigger and it's really become an incredible resource for people. So, uh, yes, A and B, uh, I, you know, tell you what I'm going to do. I have a couple of mechanics that are lined up that said they would love to do an interview. So we'll, we'll start trying to focus a little bit more on, on the maintenance side. I am in awe of what a lot of these people do. As a matter of fact, when I took those assessments when I was younger, that's what it came up with is I should be a mechanic, <laughs> not so much a pilot. And, uh, so I'd, I'd love to, to interview those folks and I as a matter of fact what's really cool is they love to share their knowledge with you you know I was going over uh, something with a mechanic as to how a system works and he actually went downstairs and printed out a schematic for the electrical system within the portion of the airplane that I was asking about and highlighted the portion that was in question so really fascinating stuff they really get to see some really cool cool stuff 
Uh, so we'll, we'll have them on, that's for sure. Hey, Carl, uh, this gentleman here, um, you know, I can see some of the notes here that, that we're not discussing, and I would recommend that he get in touch with his state chapter of the NBAA because I believe they offer some scholarships. So uh, if he's listening, reach out to the, uh, the NBA chapter for your state. Right, right. Good idea. I, I, I know that. Uh, we, I, matter of fact, I met a gentleman who won that scholarship some time ago, so oh, it's, uh, cool. it's a good one. Awesome. Yeah, we actually have some NBAA scholarships on our scholarships guide. So, uh, yes, definitely reach out to everybody you can. Um, ours is growing so much and so fast. It's, it's phenomenal. It's been an incredible blessing. And, by the way, thanks to everybody for, for supporting us and, and everything you do and, and becoming a member. Like I said, we, we do have the membership where it's just $10 for a month at a time. And it gives you access to that scholarships guide. The most current one, uh, we update it every quarter, and we put it in a PDF file for download. But the most current database is the online database that we have, and that's updated sometimes on a daily basis. And, and I know Paul's been working really hard on that. He's put some quite a few new ones in there, and we've been getting in a lot of people contacting us with, with new scholarships. There's a lot of people out there that want to give you money to do your flight training. And I think it's terrific. Uh, it's another way that we're going to be able to put more more seats in aircraft uh, so we don't have this this big uh, shortage that's been been coming up here. Well, gosh, that was that was the last question we had. Um, I, one thing I do want to mention is, you know, we all uh, know that uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving, and that's when this is coming out uh, here in the United States. So happy Thanksgiving. Uh, for those of you flying today, um, that's... It's part of the job. There are no holidays, et cetera, in the uh, airline business and the travel business, just like in the medical field. Uh, but it actually, I've had some of my best times flying during uh, the holidays. As a matter of fact, this the being Thanksgiving. Well, this one leave you this one story. You know, one of my favorite Thanksgivings is when I actually overnighted in a place called Bossier City, and uh, I was in Louisiana, and the captain was dating the flight attendant, and the flight attendant invited me over for Thanksgiving dinner at their house, and I became part of their family for that day. And that's really what Thanksgiving is all about. You know, it's sharing your blessings with others. And they were, instead of me sitting in a hotel room by myself on Thanksgiving, they shared that meal with me and made me part of their family. So that's something that I'll never forget, and that type of an experience I probably never would have had if I hadn't been working at the airlines. So just remember that and, and be thankful for everything you have and everything you you have in your life and everything in your, your flying career. We truly are blessed to be out there and to be flying every day. Well, Paul, thanks so much for, for being on today. I appreciate you coming in. Okay. Oh, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And Tom, Tom, thanks again. You have some incredible insight. We'd love to keep having you back. You always bring so much to the podcast. Oh, thank you, uh, Carl. It's uh, it's always great to be here and, and talk with you and Paul and all the great uh, guests that you always have on. <laughs> Paul, Tom, happy Thanksgiving uh, to you listening. Happy Thanksgiving, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, just count your blessings. And, uh, you know, I always like to say at the end that we should always think of something we can do today to move forward in our career. Just one small step that we can take to move forward. One of the things I want you to do, though, is is reflect on what you're thankful for in your career and in your life right now, whether it's aviation or not. And use that. Use that as, as leverage on yourself to bring yourself up and to move yourself forward in your career, in your aviation career, and in your life. We'll talk to you again next episode.
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.